welcome to the Boardwalk Breakdown Podcast featuring Michelle Riley, Mike Cross, and me, Brendan O'Neill. If you have any comments or questions, you can contact us on Twitter at Boardwalk Break. Enjoy the show. All right, here we go. All right. Episode six, The Devil You Know. This is our first two-man podcast. Second. We are... Well, it's your first two-man podcast. First two-person podcast. We, we, we've had three minimum every time. What about the night I wasn't here? Allison, Allison Felden. Allison Felden. That's right. 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 So that was one man, two women. That's a different story, though. Totally different. Uh, so that's... All right. Just us two, me and Mike. We are without Michelle Riley uh, for the moment. She'll be back next week. And... We believe if everything goes well, we will be joined by uh, two cast members of the show. Uh, and that is the young Commodore, played by uh, John Ellison Conley, and daughter Maitland, uh, played by Margot Bingham. So that'll be our first special, special guest. Real guest. Real, <laughs> real guest. <laughs> Extra special guest. All right, back to the show. Uh, the Devil You Know, we open, again, this is, I think this is a new hallmark of the series. We open exactly where the previous episode yes. Notice that right off the gate that we're picking up in sequence again. So it's three weeks in a row, right? Yeah, I mean, they throw in a couple here and there where it's just, uh, 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 we start with flashbacks. But once we're in real time, we're always like right back where the last one started. Right. So we've got Chalky at Narcissa's whorehouse. Uh... And that's when he finds the girl on the couch and he sees daughter Maitland back from the dead, supposedly. Or uh, at least uh, he thought she may have been dead. Um, and he, he sees daughter and the first thought I had or anyone had was that, oh, the kid is Chucky's, Chucky's. obviously. Right. And effectively, they, they confirmed that. Um, Chucky says, or uh, daughter says to, uh, to Chucky, uh, you know, She's not his. She's not. She's not Narcissus. Uh, Narcissus. And Jackie's like, well, then who? And uh, she's like, she's all mine. She's all mine. I love that one. Meaning, she's mine, but she's mine, she's but yours. she's yours. Yeah. But what I loved about it was her taking responsibility at a right. higher level than uh, than anything Chalky could have given at the time that she would have been born. And she doesn't want Chalky's involvement. Yeah. And she doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't want it. Doesn't need it. It's good stuff. Kind of progressive for that time, I would think. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, Might, I mean, given Chucky's background, probably, probably right. Probably, yeah, <laughs> pseudo accurate. I mean, I think on the fringe in the you know in that period of time, there might have been a little bit more of that than you'd see in 2014. But I wonder. I don't think it was common. It no. certainly wasn't common. No. Uh, and uh, I just I love the uh, the resolve of daughter in in this episode, and yeah. I love the. The fact that she is a completely broke horse. Yeah. Who is just scratching and crawling, cleaning toilets in Memphis. Right. She's just mentally drained. She's got this angelic voice, and she can't be heard because uh, Narcisse is keeping her down. It's it's very interesting. Through all this, I mean, she's back, and one of the things, I mean, they're sort of locked away from uh, Narcisse's guys. And they say Narcisse is on his way, basically. The doctor's on his way. Um, they're locked in this room. The Libyans. And she's, <laughs> the Libyans. Uh, she says, she says to Chalky, uh, you know, get out while you can. Walk away. Uh, it, it's time to get out. 
and escape this hell that you just walked into because Narcissus is the real deal. Uh, but but she's effectively protecting Chalky and protecting it, the father of her her daughter. Right? Yeah, absolutely. When did you know she that he was dead though? That who was dead? Chalky. Not to get too far ahead, but Let, I get oh oh oh, oh. Um, I knew he was dead right away. Yeah, I think right so. Away. I, I think he knew he was dead too. Well, when you he see from his face, when he didn't take the shot at Narcisse right, right away, I knew right. that was it. Right? He was. From that, from the get-go, as soon as he walked in and didn't shoot him, you knew he was bargaining for a daughter to... Yeah, he was not bargaining for his own life. He was bargaining for something bigger. And I think that's why Althea, the daughter, was so poignantly played. Yep. Uh, uh, Very, very much in the background, sleeping on the couch. Yep. Uh, Just kind of lingering in the background, but it was so dramatically at the forefront of what was going on. It was... uh, well, I will say about this episode, and this is jumping kind of like a little bit ahead to a uh, you know a postscript on everything. It was pretty prescriptive, yeah, but it was still very powerful in yeah. my opinion. I mean, it was very it was this whole episode was very prescriptive, and it kind of lends itself to what I've been saying all along is that we're going to get everything wrapped in a nice little bow. Uh, yeah, and it, they're continuing that progress. It's good. It's, and it's I almost too it. fast, but it's it's good. I it's get good. I get why they're doing it, and I and I understand the uh, the motivation behind it. It's a little disappointing that we're not getting a little bit more plot development. Yeah, we're getting very quick, short. You know, here's like, the end. Yeah, and a lot of these plot points we know have to get wrapped up in this way. We knew I think well, we knew we this knew. was going to happen effectively. And uh, well, uh, we weren't did. sure about Chalky. We were we. I mean, there was talk, was, there was rumbling last week that maybe Chalky and Nucky ride off into the sunset. Yeah. I never really bought into that. I, I always, that. I, I mean, I hoped for it. Chalky <laughs> was probably the one character in the entire show who was, you know, that criminal with a conscience, right? He was the one who always did the the right thing yeah. in a criminal way. Well, that's I what mean, you were saying last time, is that the, the two people maybe with the, 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 the best moral compass are Chalky and, we said at the time, Richard Harrow. Right. Chalky may be upping his game in, in that area right now. I mean, well, I mean... Yeah. With this episode, he certainly ratchets it up a couple of notches. Yeah, yeah. And so, to back up a little bit b- b- before the finale... Sorry, to, of, yeah, of sorry to jump way That's fine. You know I have to go in sequential order because I'm, I'm anal like that. Yes. Um, so, he said... Or, a daughter says, obviously, you didn't come for me. And then and Chalky's talking about... I think it's a, a nice little throwaway line. He goes, beer the honeypot. Yeah. Sort right. of... You're the one that everyone's after, Narcisse, basically. You know, you're the bait. I had to go find you to find him. Totally. He, it didn't, he went to go find Narcisse and found her, but... It was way. all, yeah. I mean, she, <clears throat> she, she, she could have been carefully placed by Narcisse in yeah. that situation, knowing that Chalky was on the loose. And I thought, I mean, you mentioned that already, but... That daughter works for a white man in Memphis cleaning toilets. Cleaning toilets, yes. That's like how far she's fallen. She's she's this potentially huge star in in uh, the clubs and in, in all. She's the Ella Fitzgerald, right? Before, right. You know, she's she's got the she's got the golden voice. She's got the talent. She's got the looks. And once Chucky hears that, he's like, "No, you can't be doing that. You're you're above that. We got to get you yeah. out of here." And that's when he. He makes his decision, in effect. Makes his deal with the devil. He was going to blow his way out of there, or he was going to walk away and, and yeah. take the bullet. Yep. Yeah. Um, talking about the little kid 
Althea. Althea. She's almost, and I wonder if it's like this on purpose. She's in the background. She's small. She's asleep. She's sort of not really there. She's almost like a ghost. I like love a, that. A ghost of Chalky's past. I love the way they played that. Yeah. I mean, it really was because it, it kind of harkens back to the old set Chalky, the where 1922 Chalky, uh, where his daughter was around and, you know, uh, he was doting and he was worried about who she was going to marry. Yeah. And you could kind of see that. I mean, there's a there's a direct correlation, in my opinion, there that um, it really added a lot of depth to what could have been a throwaway scene or a throwaway segment that really just ended with the way it ended without a lot of texture to it. Well, and, and it really did add a lot of, a lot of texture. points it out. I mean, he, he talks sure. about, uh, are we really going to do this with an, an innocent in the room? You know, I mean... I don't. I don't think you want what you're trying to do. We got right. Put your gun down. It's not going to happen. Right. Uh, you you got too much of a conscience for that. Uh, and then we we see daughter daughter Maitland uh, bring out the the record and they play the record and we hear the voice and it's amazing, of course. Um, played by uh, our new friend Margot B. Margot Bingham. Right. Um, so then uh, we see that and then. Uh, we find out, unsurprisingly, <clears throat> that Narcisse controls her. They, uh, she can't get booked in any club in the country. Anywhere basically. in the world. Yeah, right. because he can make a call and it's over. Right. Um, so she's, she's, doing, she's cleaning toilets. Um, and then, but then, with all this power, Narcisse comes back and, and says, talks to uh, Chucky, like, um, I'm, I met with this guy, Luciano, Lucky Luciano, Mr. Luciano. Mr. Luciano. Uh, I've been allowed to do my work in my own home. You know, I'm, I'm under his thumb, basically. And then he makes a deal with Chalky. You join me, take, help me take down Luciano and fight these guys, and I'll do you a favor. And it, and it sort of becomes evident. I'll release um, daughter, daughter. Uh, and make a call and let her get back into the scene. That's all Chalky needs, and he's in. Yeah, but Chalky knew even at that point right. that this was all just a ruse to... Keep daughter comfortable with the situation. Exactly. As comfortable as someone could get with that, right? Exactly. This was all, and Chalky knew all along it was a ruse. Yeah. And I knew it was a ruse. Yeah. And it was just a pantomime. It was a total show to uh, appease daughter, get her and Althea out of there, maybe get her mm-hmm. on the road to success. Mm-hmm. And Chalky's got to pay for that with his life. And they walk right? outside, and, and Chalky's first. He first addresses uh, Narcisse saying, I'm going to keep mine in the bargain. Will you please keep yours? And Narcisse's like, yeah, well, how, well, how will you know? It's like, well, I won't. I'm like, well, oh, then consider it consider done. Consider it done. Yeah. Right. Bullshit, just but, imagine that it will be done. And, and then the guys walk in and uh, or walk in the alley. Narcisse walks out and they right. mow him down. 1920s gangster style, too. Yeah. Five across. Uh, Tommy guns. Five across. Take them down. Right. It, it was... Uh, That's... Our well, it's not our first in the episode, but in our episode, that's our first quality kill. Look, let's just call it the quality <laughs> kill of the night because I mean, it really to me, I don't think. I mean, the Nelson, it, the Nelson right. in which we'll get to yep. is is a, there was, was a lot of drama to that quality but, kill because of, uh, it was a more meaningful kill. It was definitely a more meaningful one, yeah. and and it definitely had teeth and it cemented Chalky as that character on this show that was the one person yeah. who really never wavered from his uh, his principles. 
That's right? it. I'm not going to say morals. I'll say principles. Right, right. I mean, no one has true Honor morals. among thieves, right? <sighs> Seeing him go is hard. I, I, I knew he was going. I, I knew, yeah. Going, I mean, I knew he was going 15 minutes into the episode. I knew damn. he was gone. But it was still tough because I was really hoping for some resolution with, uh, with Chalky and Nucky. Yeah. And I was hoping for a positive outcome for Chalky. But maybe the positive outcome for Chalky, and this is the way I'm going to try and play it out in my brain unless they play it out on the show, is that, uh, you know, daughter goes on and becomes successful and Althea grows up and she gets to be a, a normal human being, right? As opposed to living in this gangster lifestyle with all these thugs and uh, not necessarily well-mannered people, despite Dr. Narcisse's. Right. Well to do status. So that's my question. And uh, I'll get to my question about daughter in just a minute. For now, I'm going to break and we'll go into our interview or my interview uh, one on one with uh, Margot Bingham about her character and how that resolved itself in this past week's episode. Looking forward to hearing this. Welcome to the Boardwalk, Boardwalk Breakdown podcast. Um, Thank you. We are uh, uh, glad to have our first uh, guest from the show. Uh, this is Margot Bingham, who plays Daughter Maitland. And you played a very important role in this past week's episode. Yes. Did... I did, and it's been, uh, it's been quite a ride ever since, and it's, <laughs> it's been a hard week to kind of get, get over. I know that a lot of people are still mourning, but trust me, so am I. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Now... At the beginning, back to last season, how did you get the part? Was it just like a, a standard audition? What was that whole process like? It was a standard audition. Originally, they were looking for a background singer for a jazz singer in the club, um, possibly like a couple couple day shoots, uh, working in the, the new nightclub that Chalky White was going to be under ownership of. And um, it turned into that, and it was just a normal jazz audition, I went in and sang actually St. Louis Blues, the song that I performed the first time uh, right. in the flower dress with the big the big crowd, and um, that was my audition song. And I sang a couple verses of that, and then they gave me, they gave me a couple lines to, to read, and, and then it, it just kind of kept asking me to hold more and more week after week, and it turned into um, nine episodes later for the season. Wow, so it, it wasn't really a, a, a cut-and-dried part. It sort of developed out of your involvement with the show. I guess so. I, I think that they just saw what relationship was forming with Michael and I and that there was something there and it was working, and um, and they just gave me a, a chance. They trusted me. Now, were you a fan of the show uh, before you had uh, auditioned? I was. My brother actually introduced me to it. He was a huge fan of the show. Yeah. And... Um, and he he introduced me to the show, and I watched a couple episodes. And then when I got called in for it, he he made me sit down and watch every single episode with him. <laughs> and um, and he was so excited, and he he literally gave me an ultimatum of saying I either get the part or I'm completely disowned from the from <laughs> our family. So that was that was my choices. So oh, good exactly. thing I got it exactly. And uh, I'm sure you're you're relatively busy now. You know, do you have time? Do you have an opportunity to watch each episode each week now? I do, I, and, and luckily I do because we actually we don't get the full scripts for the episodes, so we only get our own involvement. So right. I don't know what else 
going on with the other characters. So week to week, as, as the viewers watch, it's, it's new to me as well. So it's kind of exciting for me to, to just continue to watch how it all pans out. That's what we were thinking is that, that you guys only know your bit of the story. You, you don't know all the other, uh, you know, the other uh, uh, right. s- storylines. Right. Really yeah. only do know ever so much. And it's, it's funny because a lot of people ask me, you know, what's going to happen to Julian or what's going to happen to Nucky or, you know, and, and I honestly, I have no idea. I really have no clue. Oh, that's great. Um, now, you get to work, obviously, uh, last season and, and this season um, – Closely with Narcisse and Chalky, uh, Jeffrey Wright yeah. and Michael K. Williams. What was that like? Because I mean, I think many people would consider them at the top of the list of you know best actors either on TV or in film these days. What was it like to be with those you know, that high level of a of, of a talents? It was it was kind of incredible. You know, I'm a huge fan of both of them, and I've been a fan of both of them for a while, and especially Jeffrey Wright, you know, growing up and watching all of his movies, between Basquiat and MLK, yeah. and, yeah. you know, people, you know, like, he is an iconic uh, figure in the acting community, and, and to be associated in any way with him, and also to be able to call him a friend of mine now, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of unbelievable, it's unreal, and from, from, you know, moment one that I was on set with them, they were so gracious and and had no ego in the world and took me in completely. And it's it's really been uh, it's been a cast that I've been more than spoiled with. Um, I'm sure because of the people that that are associated with it. You know, the, the class and caliber of people alone, but then that are their non ego kind of mentality of of the the acting world. It's been a pleasure to just work with each and every single one of them. Oh, yeah. It's really unreal. I mean, uh, those two guys play, you know, some of the more intense characters on the show. Uh, yeah. Did they carry that into the, the off-screen interactions? I know it, it's probably not a difficult... Not at all. No? Okay. <laughs> no, not at all, no. There's two of the sweetest guys I've ever met. I mean, Michael is one of... The, the most kind human beings I've, sure. I've had the pleasure of meeting. And uh, Jeffrey, you know, he's, he's intense, but it, he's very, very smart and he's very talented. And I want the siren go. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Well, and gotta love New York. Uh, exactly. I understand. Um, but they're, uh, no, they're, they were both very, very sweet and very kind. And, um, did not take that kind of uh, strong demeanor off off camera sure. on the leaf. Well, now, when you first approached the character of daughter, um, you know, how, how did you come at it as an actress? I mean, uh, I'm sure it was different when you came at it at the beginning, and there's an evolution between how you came at it this season. What you know, how did she evolve, and how did you evolve uh, playing the part? I think that she continued, especially the the role. I mean, I, I think that that daughter continued to evolve through the rest of the season because she was being written in as the season was progressing. So that wasn't something that was done beforehand. And I think one of the things that helped me the best as an actress, especially for a daughter, was that her music really scored uh, the the role and the yeah. arc of her character. You know, as as the music started, she was she was a little bit more reserved and she was playing uh, to 
to more of a reserved crowd, and she was playing more of the singer and more of the performer. And as the season progressed, you know, she became a bit more of herself, and she she came into her own, and she wasn't she was uh, wasn't afraid to be a risk taker and to also be a little bit more risque. And, and then as she started falling for for Chalky, you know, she started singing a different kind of blues, and it, it's really kind of beautiful how they set the tone yeah. of the of the season to the music that she was able to sing throughout each episode. And I think that it was when you really listen to the music and makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Okay. Um, now this season, you know, your, uh, appearance in the last two episodes, um, obviously, you know, we, we talked about this on our, our previous podcast. Uh, obviously Chalky loves daughter, but, does daughter love Chalky, or is it sort of a, a different kind of a relationship? No, she really did love Chalky. I mean, you know, that the one love that she's ever truly known, the one true love, at least that was obvious in her in her life, was it was it was given to her by a man that killed her own blood and took her own blood away, right. you know, when he killed her mother. So that was the only love that she ever knew, and she had to constantly fight for it, and it's really... Uh, very twisted Stockholm-like relationship. And then when she met Chalky and he was into her life, she didn't actually have to fight for his love. It was these two lost souls that just came together magnetically, and it was something that she didn't really have to... Um, she didn't have to give so much of herself for. It was enough just being her. And so it was a love that she'd never known. So she truly did love him. But when she has a daughter now and, and that other... Uh, that other element has kind of come into the picture. It's, it's something bigger than just herself now. It's, it's um, for the first time she could be, uh, she doesn't, she's, she's not able to be so selfless and, and selfish or selfish. She could be, yeah. she has to be a little bit more selfless and she has to concentrate on, on something bigger and, and beyond herself. So I think that even though she does love Chucky and she would never ever want that to be the outcome of, of him sacrificing himself for her better health or her safety, uh, her main focus right now is on something bigger. So, yep. um, you know, it's you know, it's putting people before their own, and that's what Chalky did, and that's what she's doing with her daughter. Exactly. Well, in those final scenes with with you and Chalky and, and Narcisse, um, we also had the little girl Althea, and we talked yeah. about her because we thought she really, I mean, despite the three fantastic adults in the scene, she kind of was very pivotal in the scene where she's sort of in the background. She's kind of there, but she's not there. And she's almost like a ghost. And we were thinking that, yeah. you know, almost like a ghost of Chalky's past. I mean, uh, that type of thing. What was it like acting with, with a little girl there with such an intense scene? It was really challenging to, uh, cause you know, as an actress, you want to play into everything that's given and, and you want to, you want to do all of the characters justice, including a little one. And you have to be conscious of, of the fact that, you know, here I am, here's daughter seeing the love of her life for the first time in years. She's seeing the, you know, kind of devil in her world as well that she hasn't seen in years. She's wondering why she brought all of them here yep. and how somehow she was almost the reason for all of this to go down. She's listening to the history of what happened to his family. Uh, and she's trying to save her little one and, and trying to figure out like why that actually was an option to come back to the Narcissus and Valentine's office and it was 
it's just so much to think about. And mm-hmm. and the little girl, the actress uh, Ryan, she she really did such a great job. She was just there and just open to everything that was going on. And, <laughs> and honestly, she really helped me. And I think that it's beautiful that one of the lines that that Chucky says is, uh, you know, you take care of your your mother, baby girl, or something like that. And he right. calls her baby girl, but that's the first time that he called somebody else baby girl other than his own that was taken away last season. So it's well, all... Um, exactly. It was, it was reminiscent of Chalky's previous life. Sure. Right, right. And it's all very close, and it's, and it's um, it was a whirlwind. I mean, that, that day took forever. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure know? it was, it was really draining. Did. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Uh, I mean, during this season, especially especially last season, um, your role as a singer was front and center, obviously, and, and your voice is is amazing. You know, we, we all became fans uh, instantly. Thank you. Um, and was it tough to to learn or adjust your singing style to that nineteen twenties or thirties style? Because it's obviously different than today. It was definitely a challenge. I've studied jazz in the 30s and 40s, but to change over to the 20s and kind of chip away a lot of the stylizing that I've learned in my jazz training was very hard for me. You know, it's kind of oversimplifying something and and imagining like you never learned it in the first place. And uh, I I took a lot of time studying that that era of music, and I took a lot of time listening to the Josephine Bakers and the Beth Smiths and and uh, the Ethel Waters of their time, and those women helped me through all of it. And um, but it did take some time to try to perfect the the, the style of of that voice without overdoing it. You know, there was something yeah. so beautiful about the music during that time that it was just so simple that you felt and you knew exactly where they were when they sang it and how they felt, and all of it was completely communicated through something so so simple. You know, mm-hmm. and it almost sure. sounded so easy, but it. You know, there's something to be said about something that could be or seem so effortless, and it's really, it's not. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm um, sure. I'm sure. But it was a, it was a really great challenge for me, and I, I, as a singer, and I really, I loved every minute of it. Is there anything that you would have wanted to see your character do on screen that you didn't get a chance to do? No. No. <laughs> no, not at all. They really, they threw me everything. <laughs> I did stunts. I danced. I. You know, it was it was really um, I was beyond thrilled oh, for great. everything that I was given a chance to do. Well, as we wrap up here, uh, what do you have coming up next? I mean, can we expect to see you in more TV, more film, or do you have an album coming out, or you know, what's up next for you? I'm working on a, a couple of new music projects as, as we speak now, and um, trying to put out a, a new album coming out very soon. Oh, uh, I just wrapped up a TV show on the El Rey Network, which is Robert Rodriguez's new network, um, yeah. and it's 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 more of a CIA-based TV show set in the modern day. I play a logistics analyst for the CIA. It's um a totally different look from Boardwalk, <laughs> and that's very exciting. <laughs> uh, so we just wrapped that, and we just had a finale of the first season. Got picked up for a second season, so definitely check out the second season. Great. And I. Uh, just got picked up for a movie with um, the Sundance director, Joaquin Bazir, who did Moon with uh, Danny Glover. And uh, we'll be shooting in Detroit come this November. Wow, fantastic. So trying to do everything and, and everything. <laughs> well, and, and where can people follow you on Twitter for more updates? 
you guys can follow me at Margot B R S D T M A R T O E D R S D T like the party. Exactly. Great. Well, I really appreciate your time, and, and thank you for joining us uh, at the uh, Boardwalk Breakdown podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Brennan, and I think it's so cool that you guys came together and, and put something together so awesome for Boardwalk, and, and love it so much, and, and we appreciate it as a cast. My question is, do you think we'll see her again? She's done in, in the series, no, right? She's there, there's no reason for her to come back. She's done. I don't know if you got to be, right? you know, I, I don't know that look at, at this point with two episodes left, it serves no purpose. Right. I mean, what the purpose that was served were the bullets that were delivered at right. the end of the episode. Right. right. But you know what I'm hoping and not necessarily in, in daughter Maitland's case, but in general, I want to see a couple of these characters live on in some sort Flourish. of spinoff. Right. Yeah. Well, I never even thought about no, that. There's right? no way that happens, but I totally want to see that. Well, daughter is definitely not a character with enough depth yeah. in this series to, to warrant that. I mean, the, there are, I could think of maybe three off the top of my head. Mickey Doyle yeah. would be one. <laughs> um, he would be the equivalent. And I know you weren't, you didn't watch breaking bad, but better call Saul. Yeah. I want the backstory on Mickey Doyle. Right. I want to see him when, from age 15 and on up. He, he, okay, he talks about that. Any of you guys see a pie cooling <laughs> on a windowsill? We'll get to him in a second. Yes. All right. So We have no choice. He's primary. Oh, well, in my little notes so much here, fun. We, we talk about this. Uh, we cut to uh, early on in the episode after we see uh, Chalky. Uh, the, the second real scene is... Mickey Doyle and his bodyguard, his his lackey, lackey. Joel. Joel. Right? Yeah. Uh, not Joel Riley. No, no. Well, he's a different kind of lackey. He, he did not serve as well in last week's episode. No, he didn't. Um, so, they're at the burlesque club. Um, it's dead. It's They're bored. It's just, it's 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 not the it's Roaring mid, 20s. It's midweek. It's midweek, and... They're in the, the depression. No one's out. Yeah, no one's out. out spending money. Um, Mickey Doyle starts talking to Joel about when I was your age. I used to do this. I used to do that. And he talks about uh, you know my gang. We used to uh, hold up and this. Over, uh, yeah, yeah. Steal that. Hold up this. Do whatever. And he goes, I was going places. And then the kid goes, Well, what happened? Why? Why are you here, you loser? Uh, and then Doyle goes, In a joking way. Basically, uh, a your mother joke uh, in 1931. Right. He goes, uh, what happened? Your father set up set me up with your mother. Ha, 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 ha. We all thought it was a joke. And the kid's like, wait, what? W- w- what are you talking about? He, he didn't know it was a joke, really. Hence, hinting that he is related to somebody in the series. Yeah. And we think he is little, little yeah. Tommy Dormady. A little bit of foreshadowing there, I think. Right. I think there, that's a well-placed... Right. Comment and I noted it as well. I didn't see it last episode. You guys did. I was thinking the kid was somebody else. I think clearly now he is Dormady's kid. I'm yeah. I'm Gotta be without a doubt. I think. And it, it comes back later in the episode. Uh, right. We'll talk about that as well. Right. I thought for a second maybe the kid was Nucky's kid because we do get a quick flashback where Nucky's wife, girlfriend, uh, Mabel is pregnant. And I'm like maybe that's maybe that's Nucky's kid. The ages are off. It's not. We cut to Nucky's office in his room in the club, 
and his bodyguard uh, finds that he's gone. He's not in his room. He, he escaped somehow. Cut to Nucky in the dive bar. What is going on with Nucky there? Is this I him just slumming? I really don't understand that segment. It was so... Is he trying to get back to his roots of being, you know, being incognito, doesn't want attention. Now he's getting back to, you know, I'm I'm of these people. I, I was these people. You know, I, I can get back and I can get drunk and I can be anonymous. But... He does that in, I thought it was just an oddly placed scene, an oddly placed storyline within this, this episode. He's getting drunk, finds this, uh, I'm going to use the word floozy, because I think that's the, the best description of the girl he's talking to. Uh, yeah. She's drunk, they're chit-chatting, and it goes nowhere, but Nucky makes up a name that I thought was pretty cool. Francis X. Bookman. That's his alias in this little dive bar. Right. Francis X. Francis Bookman. X. Bookman. From like Missouri. That. From Missouri. Yeah. So. Well, I like how the the lady of the evening is <laughs> calling him. Do you think, now, do you think she's a hooker or do you think she's just a. Uh, I think she's a wayward. Opportunistic. Yeah, I'm yeah. more opportunistic than whore. Uh, but I, I, yeah. I love the way that she tries to peel him off as. You know, you're a salesman of vacuums from Peoria. Right, right exactly. Uh, and he plays right along with it and doesn't even give two shits. Yeah. He's just more concerned with yeah. the end game. Yeah, exactly. In typical drunk guy at a dive totally. bar fashion. Yeah. Um, all right, then later on, uh, another girl joins them. They're both equally ditzy and drunk and whatever. Um and then the old man confronts Nucky and tells yes. Nucky to shut up. Yeah. And then Nucky basically kicks the shit out of him in this bar. What What did you think of that? I, I didn't mean, buy it. Didn't buy it how? That Nucky could do it? Yeah, that Nucky could do it. I did because he's the kid from the streets and he's and, and he's a, he's a quote-unquote gangster or half a gangster. Yeah, he's a half a gangster. He's, he's, I know. He's only halfway in. I don't I don't look at Nucky as an enforcer in he's any not. particular fashion. But he's an so, old dude. I, and so is Nucky. Yeah. Okay. They're both old dudes. So the vigor with which he attacks, right? To me, in his drunken stupor and with all these memories or flashbacks in his own head, maybe he gets a little super uh, strength from the crazy. No. Well, yes, but he wasn't beating up that old man. He was he beating, was up, beating his up his dad. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, like great. Great pull too. So I thought that was interesting. Although, again, I didn't think it was. Needed it was fine, but it was too long a segment, and yeah, you know we need to know too much going into the last two episodes. <laughs> I, know. I, know. I didn't need twenty minutes of uh, drunk ducky with hookers. That's where I, I mean, that's where I fall down every time. It's 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 the flashbacks. Although these flashbacks made some sense, these flashbacks were extremely right. relevant this week. But there's so much going on. These little side stories are fine, but there's. So much depth in the big stories, in the Chalky, in the Capone, in the... I just wonder why, you know, I mean, I guess they're weaving a story, right? And they want to give us some longer play, they want to give us some wrap-up, they want to give us it all, and that's the problem with wanting it all or or wanting to give it all. Yep. You can't ever do it, right? And we've talked about this before. They're, we've, yeah, they're we've shoehorning talked about, they're 12, 12 episodes in eight. Right, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, so it's yeah. almost we're belaboring a point. But see previous episodes, of yeah, this episodes one, two, three, five. <laughs> um, 
It's and, disappointing in a way. I mean, I, they really did need 12 episodes to get this done the right way. I know. And I don't uh, know if it was an HBO decision, if it was, you know. I was reading somebody online on, on Twitter, uh, a fan of the, the show, uh, was saying that this, they thought, I don't agree, but they thought this was the worst episode or the worst uh, season of the show, that it was ending horribly. I'm like, well, there's ups and downs, but you can't say it's ending badly. No, it's not ending horribly. Here's here's. And this this goes back to our original problem of yeah. you're trying. If, if we had twelve episodes to finish this, I think we could get more of a flavorful yep. plot development. Yeah. Uh, right now, what we're getting is is we got to hurry up and finish this. Yep. All right. Uh, so to wrap up the Nucky and the drunken girls uh, storyline, Nucky gets them both into the alley and is going to have sex with both of them. He's going to fuck them both because uh, he's he's Johnny. Drunken Nucky in the, yeah. in the, in the, in the, in the big cock in the block. <laughs> he's in the alleyway. As he's trying to... He's the best looking guy in the alley. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> As he's trying to grope one of, the, one of the girls, the other one gets behind him and knocks him out. They knock him out and they rob him. They, they roll him, basically. Yes. Um, he comes to and he's awoken by Joel... Um, what's his face? Uh, Doyle's bodyguard. Right. Or... Joel's flunky. lackey. Yeah, um, flunky. Flunky lackey. Joel flunky lackey. Uh, he, he wakes him up. And in Nucky's sort of drunken stupor slash waking up out of being knocked out, he starts talking to Joel as if she's he's Jillian. Right. And he says a couple things that are really important, or at least one thing that I, I gathered was, um, you know, why he, he kept, kept saying, uh, you know, why did you trust me? Why did you go with me? Why did you were you so trustworthy with me? You knew what I was doing, that type of thing. Basically hinting at Nucky taking this innocent Jillian at thirteen years old yeah, to the her. Commodore. Right. That was That was an interesting creepy. Yeah, it was creepy and interesting. Interesting. So that brings us to the flashback scenario. The uh the whole Storyline with the flashback. Basically, Mabel's pregnant, um, yes. and she's up in the middle of the night making whatever. She can't Knitting. sleep. She's got she, one pearl too. Yeah, she's got uh, uh, morning sickness or nausea, whatever, brought on by pregnancy. Um, and she's talking to Nucky, and it's a throw, almost a throwaway scene. But Nucky recites to her almost verbatim, or probably verbatim, what his speech was. That he just gave earlier in the evening to the alderman. And right. He sort of displays his oratory skills and his ability to turn a phrase and sort of that he he's a guy that can command an audience, which obviously paid off in his career. I thought that was an interesting obviously. Little, little thing. I love how she played off on that. Though. Yeah, and then he's like, everybody kept calling me Nucky, and then she starts busting his balls. Nucky, Sega. Yeah. Give me a Sega. So I, she hates the nickname, obviously, and he hates it, which is great. Well, what's interesting about that is is that he never really sheds it. And mm-hmm. I think part of that is is embracing what you are viewed as. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of the Nucky personality is is really understanding that I am Nucky. Uh, it reminds me of a, a, a guy that I used to work with. <laughs> And his name was Paul, and we called him Polly Walnuts, and, we, and it just eventually got shortened to Walnuts. And he, <laughs> and he hated the nickname. He ha- absolutely hated it. But 
That's very Chicago of you. The reality is, is that that's your name. Yep. Right. So it are. doesn't matter whether you like it or yeah. not. That's who you are. <laughs> and that, not to uh, quote myself from the last podcast, but I will. Um, that plays into my idea of the identity crisis and the sure. people's identity yeah. evolving or not. Uh, last episode. Yeah. Okay, so Mabel's pregnant, and then Nucky makes a comment that you know this guy is going to be be made all alderman or whatever, and you know, he doesn't deserve it, and you know, this guy. But that's what the commoner wants. I've been working for him for the thirteen years, and yeah, whatever the commoner wants yeah. is what happens. And that's a foreshadowing to his whatever the commodore wants to bring Jillian to the commodore. Like he's just going to, exactly. he's just going to acquiesce so, to whatever. Yeah. It, Serve her up on a silver platter. Yeah. Right. Which is creepy. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> totally As creepy. a father of a daughter, very creepy. Definitely. Uh, then we get uh, Nucky on the boardwalk. Uh, he goes into a store. Uh, the owner talks about a kid stealing stuff and Nucky vows to find this kid who's been stealing from the boardwalk. Um, and then, while he's outside sort of contemplating this, he looks over down the boardwalk and sees the Commodore welcoming in a 12, 13, 11-year-old girl, Ugh, whatever it is, creepy. welcoming her into his hotel while the mom sort of sits outside having brought her daughter to this creepy guy. Right. What was going on there? I... The, the mom brought the daughter and then sits outside sort of concerned and scared and whatever is it just a money deal it's got to be a money deal in my mind it's a money deal right i mean uh what's at the root of this entire well what's at the what's at the root of the entire series right the entire show it's always about money right right uh and what did i hear the other night on a completely different show uh a racist guy saying i don't deal with black Mm -hmm. because he's white Mm -hmm. and someone else says to him you don't care about color. The only color you care about is green. Well, first of all, this is something that's played itself out from the Byzantine Empire till now, right? <laughs> I mean, this is not this is nothing that's any different than anything we've ever seen no. in any lifetime. Is that money rules everything, yeah. right? So I think, and I did notice that, and I was taken aback by it. But I'm a little surprised, at least in this episode, they didn't play it up a little more. I mean, it was plainly obvious what was happening, but I'm surprised they didn't. They already go gave. Into they already gave more. us the money shot so, yeah. with the pictures. They so. already gave us the money shot, and we already know what's going to happen with Jillian. So they don't have to belabor that too much. Yeah. And yeah. along those lines, um, the Commodore uh, played, I think, pretty well by once again our new friend uh, John Ellis Conley, uh, who all. John Ellison Conley, who I'll be talking with uh, one-on-one um, in, in an interview coming up, coming up soon. Um, so listen to that, and we'll get back into the podcast in just a minute. Welcome to the Boardwalk Empire podcast. Uh, we're here with John Ellison Conley, uh, who plays young Commodore. Uh, how are you That's doing, me. John? <laughs> I'm doing great. How Great. are you doing, Brendan? Well, good enough. I'm, I'm still recovering from last <laughs> week's episode. I, this is this is terrible, but I actually haven't seen last week's Oh, episode. come on. I know. I'm one behind. Well, I, I assume you know what happens to you or, or you know, your involvement, but uh, beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I do, but uh, and and I have to say because of uh, you know I'm, I'm because of this season I'm I'm plugged into all sorts of Twitter things and everything. I also have a pretty good idea about some of the events that may have uh, taken place, but I have not good. been able to watch it yet. So good, I'm good. looking forward to seeing it, but uh, I, I don't think I'll be uh, surprised by some of the major events. No, no, no. I'm sure. Well. Going back to the beginning of this season, or, I mean, I'm sure you, sh- you shot this well before, but uh, uh, how did you get the role of young Commodore? I mean, what was, I assume it was a, a, a standard audition, and, and what was that like? Yeah, it was an audition, uh, and I had auditioned for the show a couple of times before, uh, once in the first season, and then again, I think in, in maybe season three, uh, and, and this time I came in and I had just, uh, finished doing a play where I had a I had a mustache, uh. and I was reading for a role. and And Meredith Tucker uh, said, "You know, I don't think I've ever seen you with just a mustache before." And uh, and she said, "Did you have you, you did you watch the show?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "Well, here's another. I want you to come back tomorrow and read for this part." And she handed me this other part, which was much better, the role <laughs> of the young uh, Commodore. And obviously, I had to keep it very secret because the whole story of going back in time had not been uh, leaked yet. But sure. uh, so I, I came back in I, I, that night. I, I watched some uh, Dabney Coleman stuff, which is again pretty easy job, a good job to have. <laughs> uh, and I uh, I went in the next day and did that audition, and then I had to go in one other time uh, for for Tim Van Patten and yeah. uh, and. And uh, at Steiner at the studios. Oh, that's great! I always, uh, well, yeah. er, Early on in the uh, in our podcast here, I made a big deal about Tim Van Patten. I know he's an accomplished director now, but I know him as Salami from The White Shadow. So I, I'm I'm happy to see him, you know, out there doing anything. It's great. Sure, I remember the, the I remember that show. Yeah, he's great <laughs> on that. He his name was and Salami. He's, he's a on. phenomenal. Absolutely, and he's he's a wonderful director. I, I enjoyed his work, you know, for years, and it was it was pleasure to get to work with him on this one. Oh, great! Uh, well, at the beginning of your stint on the show, uh, you know, as as you started, how did you approach the character of Young Commodore? Was there anything uh, that you had to to do, or I mean, did you have to have to develop that accent? Did you have to, uh, uh, you know? try to do uh, a Dabney Coleman impression, or were you just sort of playing to the uh, the, the time period? Well, uh, it's interesting. But first, you know, I, for, the, for the audition, I had to sort of, I prepared in a way that was like, I assume, because this character has already been so memorably portrayed, and, and the people who are watching uh, in season five are going to be familiar with the character, I assume that I have to make an attempt to you know, have some of what Dabney Coleman did. And so, I, sure. as I said, I did look at what he did in the show, and I and I tried to sort of find the way in which our voices and our mannerisms, if they weren't already similar, the ways in which I could make them similar that didn't uh, yeah. prevent me from also being able to, you know, be present, that weren't sure. so foreign that they seemed absurd. And uh, and so I did that for, for the auditions. And then when when I actually got hired, of course... As, as any fan of the show knows, the, the costumes are so extraordinary, and oh, they yeah. build them for you. And and so I went and, and got fitted for all the clothes that they made for me. That really helps, 
you know, when you're when you're playing a, a, a character who's set in 1884 and they give you a genuine beaver top hat. I mean, that's uh. a crazy thing. But it's all of those things, the clothes that you're wearing affect your posture and, and affect yeah. your idea of yourself in a way that, you know, when you get that information, that's another piece of the puzzle. And then, of course, the scripts show up. And uh, and that's the other piece. And you you take those the, the information that you get from from what you're wearing, and you take the information that you get from the the person in this case, the person who played the character before, yep. which is an unusual thing for me. I'd never done that, but found it really uh, fascinating. And I think uh, Nolan, Lyon, Mark Pickering are doing yeah. the same thing, where it's like they had you know they got to watch Steve and and find ways to make it their own, but also had the responsibility of doing, you know, what, what he does. And that's an interesting assignment. And then, of course, the, the third part, and probably the most important, is what's my job in this, in this script, in right. this scene? And uh, you put them all together, and you, and you get there, and, and you work with the guys on the day and figure it all out. Well, and, and you mentioned the close. Um, did you happen to Aren't they amazing? walk off with, I don't know, a pair of shoes or a hat or something? Tell me you got a souvenir of some sort. Uh, yeah, I wish that I could have. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't. I did not. Uh, because they were so exceptional. And, yeah. and a part of me, at the end of that, as the time was coming to an end, was like, oh, I should you know, ask. It, because they've made it for me. They made it exactly sure. to my... You know, like my one shoulder slightly higher than the other, and all this, you know, yeah. actually to my body. But at the same time, I don't have a lot of occasions where I need an <laughs> 1884 top coat. Oh, come so, on. Even though that was an extremely beautiful garment, I, I ultimately decided that, uh, that I would not investigate that. And, you know, they hung on to all those costumes. I'm, I'm sure that some of the guys who were on the show for years got yeah. kept. We're able to keep a suit or, or you know, something right. like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did not do that. Back to your your sort of interaction with the other characters. Uh, one of the, mm-hmm. one of the uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know if it's uncomfortable, but it was, uh, uh, it's sort of, it made me uneasy was sort of your character's nastiness toward young Nucky. Uh, is that difficult uh, to play against a, a, a 12-year-old kid or whatever? I mean, h- how do you tackle that? That is that is tricky. And uh, I have to say, Nolan Lyons, yeah. uh, who plays the youngest uh, Nucky, was an absolute... I mean, not only is he a great actor, and, I, and I, that was a real pleasure for me because I got to see one side of him working with him because his relationship with the Commodore, of course, is a pretty specific thing and he's pretty right. contained and pretty quiet and not very expansive you know by design and then when i got to see you know the first episode yeah. and i and all of his stuff with his family and just i i was so thrilled for him because he's, he's just a really great kid as yeah. well as a great actor but that's that's the thing that um made that part easier okay. was he was so easygoing uh, but incredibly focused uh, in the episode, you know, where I have to like, the, pull him up onto the onto the uh, the porch right. at, the, at the hotel there. Yep. You know, I, I was 
I was like, you know, how, how would you like me to do this? And there was a stunt coordinator and, you know, like, do you want me to make sure that you're, and he was like, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. He That's was great. so focused, such concentration, always really dedicated. Uh, he was, he was a great kid and, and, and he is a great kid and, and yeah. super easy to work with. Well, and, and that makes that easier because of course you don't want to harangue a, a child. But, no, uh, no. I, I knew that he was he was completely up for it, and that's great. And that that was all fine. And you, uh, your character sort of went down that path a lot, and we uh, <laughs> we had this thing on the podcast. We say like you know creep of the week, or you know who is who is the worst character that that given week, and it's oftentimes uh-huh. uh, Jillian or it's Van Alden or whatever it is. Um, and the Commodore comes up every now and then. Uh, I think, I sure. think the Commodore might be in the running for the most despicable character on the show. Uh, what do you think of that? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I can't really talk about. No, no, no. Um, of course. You know what? What is to come? But I would say uh, that's that's not unfair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that's, and I think that's that's part of the role that the Commodore. I mean, of course. It's, the storytelling of the show, and uh, that's definitely what that assignment is right. to, a, to a great extent. And and I think we love that. Yeah, you know, we need people that are that are that way, especially in these kind of stories. And uh, and that's a fun thing to get to to get to play. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, the, they always say the villain is the most fun. All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is a you know particular kind of, of villain, and and it's been fun too because in the first two seasons, the Commodore, you you see him you know at the end of his life, and I feel like yeah, it's all and that's a, I love that performance. It's a beautiful performance, but I, I I do think that part of the assignment of this season was sort of finding a place that was before he became exactly what that was. Yeah. And uh, and I think ideally by the end of this season <laughs> you will see a pretty clear path towards towards the kind of uh, uh, person that we oh, that yeah. we loved to hate in in seasons one and two. Oh, we can't wait! I mean, two episodes left. It's it's getting it's getting dicey. All right, I know. I know. Um, it's incredible. Now. Uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, one of the keys or the uh, 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 impetuses for you to play uh, uh, the Commodore uh, is the mustache. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's quite a mustache. Did you love it or hate it? You know, I I had it for a, a play. Okay, and uh, usually. But I had a much, I had a, also had long sort of sideburns and chops and all that stuff. And uh, typically when I have facial hair, which I've had full beard and done all in, been clean shaven, uh, I take my time getting rid of it just because it's a change of pace. Sure, sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in this situation, I had the mustache and I was like, oh, I'll stick with this for a little while and then I'll, I'll get rid of that. <laughs> uh, and it uh, obviously really paid off for me, That's so uh, uh, I've actually stuck with it. And, oh, good! Uh, my my wife, my wife. Uh, uh, some people are obviously not such big fans of it, but my wife really likes it. So 
I'm I'm happy to share it if someone wants to <laughs> to pay me to play a role that does that requires me not to have it. But uh, but for the moment, I'm I'm still rocking the stash. That's great. Now, here's the real question: Better mustache. All right. You, Dabney Coleman, Tom Selleck, or Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation? Uh, I mean, I think you have to take me, and I, 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 my respect for him is enormous, but you have to take Dabney Coleman out of that. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be either Tom Selleck, and I would say Magnum era. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Or Nick Offerman. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a great, Nick great stash. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Um, I think that's the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, too. I think so, too. Magmara Selleck is close, but I think we got to go Nick Offerman on that. I agree. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure the answer is you can't say anything, but there, is there anything you can tell us about any of the upcoming two episodes? Um. I really can't tell you anything, but also because I only know about my own storyline. Sure. I can't wait to see what what happens. Actually, yeah. I'm 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 thrilled about it, and and look forward. I can't believe. I mean, there's three more left for me, right. but uh, I can't believe there are only two more left. That's, I know. That's crazy. I know. We're yeah. We're we're a little bit sad. I'm, I'm 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 I have to admit that, but you know. Of course. All good things come to an and, end. Yeah, I mean, I I had the just the privilege of working just on this season, but all all the people who worked on that show, it really became, you know, they they were so sad at the end of it. I one of the uh, assistant directors was talking to me about the, the final day when they, you know, like loaded the last because it was shot on film too. That's another thing. Like a, oh a, wow, a, a show this large, you know, with this much visual detail shot on film it might you know that was that was the end of potentially the really really the end of an era right wow but yeah okay yeah the good thing is it'll exist forever exactly um well what do you have coming up whether it's tv film broadway whatever where can people see you next uh, you know, I have a couple of things going on around here, and I'm, I'm looking sort of for my next uh, theater uh, or TV job. Okay. Uh, I have a, a film coming up that I'm not sure exactly when it's coming coming out, uh, Robert Edwards' film uh, that Chris Walken and Amish Linklater and Amber Heard are in uh, called When I Live My Life Over Again. Oh, great. Uh, that I shot. Uh, in the in the late spring, and uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm 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 looking for for what's going to be next. Great, well, that's fantastic. And uh, yeah. uh, where can people follow you on Twitter if they wanted to get uh, updates for you and and what you're doing in the not so near not so distant future? I am at Conjongly. C O N J O H N L E E at Tom John Lee on Twitter. That's great. Uh, well, I yeah. really appreciate your time. Uh, I mean, John, it, it's been a pleasure. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, at the Boardwalk Breakdown podcast. And uh, we look forward to watching you and 
Young Commodore uh, these last two episodes. Thanks, Brendan. It was really a, a pleasure joining you, and uh, and I'm so glad that you guys are watching it. I, I think yeah. it's great that the show has and deserves such such devoted fans. Yeah, we are we are super fans, so uh, we we can't wait. We can't get enough. So, all right. So then we cut to in this scenario, we cut to Nucky and Eli. Um, underneath, under, underneath the uh, uh, boardwalk, setting a trap for this kid this who's kid. been stealing stuff. This this little boy, this boy, I'm sure, who's been stealing stuff from the boardwalk and stashing it in some sort of little uh, uh, alcove under the the boardwalk, under the under the beach. We find out pretty quickly it's not a boy, it's a girl, and her name is Jillian. Jillian. So that's Great. our introduction. Okay. You know what? This was probably the most pivotal scene yeah. in this. Yeah. Maybe not the most pivotal, but really it's going to help really outline the arc of the Jillian story. And it's it, teeing up the next episode to be heavily Jillian. Totally. Next episode, in, while Jillian is not my favorite character and not someone that I find compelling, yep. it's going to be dominated by Jillian. And rightfully so. She has a strong place in the history of the series. Yeah. And it's important that we come to a conclusion with her, so I understand it completely. Definitely. I love the fact that she's a petty thief dressed as a boy working the boardwalk for scams. I thought that was interesting. Right? I mean, it really – it lays the groundwork for – I, I think all along in the in the entire arc of the the series that we've been trying to find a reason to find Jillian compelling. Yeah. But we're not going to get it. Up until now, save the Commodore – She's the most despicable character in the entire series. Without question. And I don't think they're going to waver from that. Right. I thought for a while that they might make her this forgivable character. They're not going to. It's not going to happen. Yep. She's going to wind up being the scapegoat, for lack of a better word, because I can't think of one. Uh, she's going to be the mess that, that fits. Well, and when we first learned of this relationship that she had with Nucky and the Commodore... You know, back a few a few seasons ago, um, I figured the entire time the way we would find out is that the Commodore is giving some speech or being you know this uh, above it all guy. When behind the scenes, he's telling his lackey Nucky, "Hey, look at that girl in the crowd. Let's make sure you bring her back to my you know hotel, or whatever." Almost like a uh, like an '80s uh, hair band, like yeah, let's see the, the blonde girl, bring her back, and let's yeah, let's yeah. Not at all. He mean that's what we see, kind of with the mom bringing the girl that Nucky sees on the right. block, whatever. Right, right. I thought that might be closer to the scenario. Totally different. Totally. Jillian's got her own little. She's got her side own thing going, going on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not the oh, we're gonna reel this poor young. She's not a helpless little helpless nothing, girl, yeah. and we're gonna. Delivered the Commodore on a platter. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think it was a very interesting turn that uh, I didn't see coming, but I love it. I mean, yeah, it makes me it. more interested in Jillian's story. It makes me more interested in Jillian's story. And I was really, and I was in going back a couple episodes of the podcast, I was really done with Jillian. Yeah. So, yeah, this definitely brought me, reeled me back in a little bit. Now we get into maybe the meat of the episode. Um, certainly where the most action, 
conflict drama happens. And Nelson that's, Van Alden. That's with Eli and Nelson Van Alden. Nelson Van Mueller, as he was quoted uh, as being on. Yeah, that's Nelson Caspar Van Alden, he says later on. Yes. Uh, I'm going to call him Casper. Casper. But, we can go with Casper. Uh, okay, so we see Eli Van Alden about to try to get into Capone's lair and somehow steal these ledger books that uh, tie him to uh, tax fraud and tax evasion. And here's where I can make one of my comparisons that I haven't made in a couple episodes yet. Uh, so they're in the hallway talking about how to do it. They walk up to the door to uh, Capone's lair. And before they go in, before they grab the, the knob, they oh, hang on. Let's walk through this. They start talking back and forth about, all right, you go in there and do this. What about the... Abbott and Costello. Well, guys. hang on. They do that, and then they're talking about, you go in there with the, the counting room, and I'll talk to so-and-so, and what if we're caught, and then we do this. They're working through it all. Almost inches from the door made me think of the scene in Pulp Fiction, where they're ah, about... Here's our tie. Right. They're about to go in and... Wait, hang back. Let's just, hang it's back. It's not time yeah. yet. And they're talking about foot massages. Foot and, massages, yeah. You know? Royale cheese. I'm thinking that's Pulp Fiction right there. So Great tie. There's my little tie. Perfect tie. Uh, anyway, uh, they get inside. They try to... Uh, there's more people there than expected. Um, they try to make some bullshit story about having to drop off money. And, uh, you know, we were late last time. We want to make sure it's there. We've got to get it counted and whatever. doesn't really fly. It almost is about to. And then Ralph Capone walks in. And the shit hits the fan. And he's like, fuck that. I'll take it. I'll take it to the uh, uh, accounting room. Um, And they're freaking out. He grabs it and then looks inside of it. The worst thing ever. I mean, if you kept it closed and just put it on the the desk, this might work out. All good, right. He looks inside and it's filled with shredded paper. Eli and Van Alden shit themselves because they're completely caught. They have nowhere to go from that. And we're back to Abbott and Costello. And it's Abbott and Costello. And it's this fantastic little love story of... Eli and Nelson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I it really... It, they're the best. It I, truly is a love story. Sadly, we can't see a, a spinoff of these two, but I think they would be fantastic. If they, this, would, this might be the spinoff, if we could have one. It would be the Nelson and Eli <laughs> show, although Nelson obviously isn't capable. He's he's not quite in great shape He's not right in now. great shape. Uh, okay, so to, to cover this gap of having scraps of paper and what are you doing? How, what is this? There's no money here. What's happening? Eli says, uh, we were going to rob the place, question mark. <laughs> Eli is a fucking mess. I love the fact that he came right out with it, though. He didn't try to fucking he, bullshit. He made it up as the words were coming out of his yeah. mouth. He's like, we were, um, uh, we were going to uh, rob, uh, rob the place? place. And he kind of looks at Van Alden like, maybe, uh, sure. So Maybe they respect us for trying to rob it. Exactly. Maybe they can get some credit for it. So they're caught and they totally fucking panic. Then they call uh, Ralph calls in D'Angelo as the guy to dispose of these two. I didn't quite get that. There was two or three other guys in the room. Why didn't they take one of those guys? Uh, Ralph, well, was, Ralph was isn't Ralph Capone's brother. Yeah, right. So maybe they just want. But D'Angelo was not part of the inner circle in any way. He was sort of on the fringe. I was thought, thought it was weird that they grabbed him. Well, the backstory on this that's great is, is that when Capone does walk in, he walks in with two actors who wind up starring in the movie Scarface. Right. 
which was from 1932 or three. Two or guys from Hollywood trying to make two a Hollywood film guys about Capone who are going to make a film about Capone and are probably thinking <laughs> all of this is probably you know a lot of uh, spun yarn, right? right? I mean, this is. Yeah, some of it's true, but some of it's probably not. You're a real. blowhard, and do you really live yeah, this life? I mean, this whole Al Capone thing is probably overblown. Well, they find out quickly it isn't because in the public, I mean, he was a master PR man. He was Gregarious. out talking to the gregarious, to the press outgoing. All the time. Yeah, very. he was promoting himself as a man of the people, right. not the bad guy that people thought. Right. Anyway, so when Capone comes in with with the Hollywood guys. Uh, D'Angelo and Van Alden and Eli are on their way out, almost out of this bad situation where they can, they can regroup and try this thing again, or at least survive. Capone nails it and says, get back in here. Where are you guys going? Let's talk about this. We're going to have a chat. Yeah. Now, Capone talking to our favorite um, cigar store Indian, uh, Nelson Van Alden. Um he goes, I thought we were buddies. I thought that was hilarious. Like, we're buddies. Like, yeah. Who's, who's buddies with Capone? Nobody. No one. Right. Least of all, Van Alden. And then he puts a gun to Van Alden's head. I think you're a fucking badge, he says. Uh, he's got him pegged. He, he knows what's up. And then... But he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't, really he doesn't know he the whole thing. He doesn't know it, but he doesn't have him pegged. Right. Then, this is the part that shocked me. Because I thought for sure Van Alden, as he has for the past... Seven years would just put his tw- tail between his legs and just be be Mueller and just like, okay, well, I'm sorry, boss, and this and that, whatever. He knocks the gun out of Capone's hand. He jumps up, starts choking him, says, you know, tells him exactly who he, who he is, and, and, and he's an agent, and he's treasure he's agent. Under arrest, right. and he talks about his, his uh, faith and, you know, all kinds. He, he exposes his entire self to. I Capone. loved how he regurgitated. The, the God speak in there. Right. He, he was like, and he you will be back judged to what he was. by God. And, and I thought was, for sure they were going to throw down the Pulp Fiction, uh, and I, the righteous and it, man. <laughs> you, know. uh, you will know I am the Lord. <laughs> the rain down upon thee. Uh, and he goes, I am Nelson Caspar Van Alden. And then right after that, his head is effectively blown off. Yeah. By a gun from D'Angelo, the other fan. D'Angelo, well-placed I and really not not necessarily shocking, but it took me by surprise yeah. that that's how that, yeah. that kind of ended. That I thought ended, Eli might step up. I thought, and that's really where I was going with it, mm-hmm. is, is I thought it was going to be Eli who would step into the fray and yeah. try and quell the situation. Eli's in... Okay, so <clears throat> D'Angelo shoots off half of... Van Alden's face, he's done. Blood everywhere, all over Capone. Save Capone's Eli's life. freaking out. Eli's in shock, muttering him to himself. Kind of, sort of, giving himself and Eli and D'Angelo up. Totally. He's, he's like, you can't quite hear what he's saying, but he's basically just spilling the beans. He's muttering, yeah. Capone goes to him, and he's, he's talking to him, and he's like, you're caught. Just tell me what happened. What was going on? You, you, this is over. What was going on? And Eli, showing the last bit of a quick mind, still in that just drunken brain he has, spills his guts. But he doesn't say it's he's with the he's, he doesn't say he, doesn't say he says it was a Fed. Doesn't say D'Angelo. He says it was Ness. Perfect. Sets up 
Oh Capone against up, Ness. Tease up the next two episodes, right? Amazing. To finalize this. Because for three episodes, I think we were all sitting like, all right, we saw Ness in the first yeah, one or second one. Where is he? Where is he? This, he coming back? Right? He's Capone's arch enemy. One of the things that I love about this, though, is that the Ness-Capone scenario yeah. has been so played right. out. Right, that it's secondary. I like now. that good. they make it a little secondary. Yeah. It's not necessarily Nascapone. It's it's more about uh, the backstory behind that, and that's been that's been a good play. I think they've done that well. I'm waiting for Costner to make a yeah a guest appearance, make a guest appearance somewhere. And, and, and I'm taking Niro. a bookkeeper, and a bookkeeper is coming with me. All of a sudden, next episode, it's. Costner against uh, De Niro. Yeah, I don't right. know what happened, but firing away in the in Union Station. <laughs> the, the the baby buggy going down the stairs. Buggy. Yeah. Uh, all right, Capone. We finish off this little uh, scenario here, this, this storyline with uh, Capone saying, "We was bums, Ralphie." We was very bums. good Capone line. We was bums. Almost a Burgess Meredith Rocky line. Very, yeah, very <laughs> quintessential. And then. Ralph goes, well, what do we tell his brother? Meaning uh, Eli's brother. This was my favorite moment of the episode. Uh, and then uh, Capone goes, Luciano's taking care of him. And he walks out into the other room, to the ante so room. So proving all along. Capone was in on it. Capone was in. Was in on the assassination on Nucky, or the attempt on Nucky. Yeah. So this sets up a huge play for the next couple of episodes. Well, in and, and a, a little thing we di- I didn't see coming. I thought it was kind of cool. I was impressed by this more than I probably should have been. At the end of this little uh, scene, Ralphie grabs D'Angelo, Ralphie Capone, uh, and hands him the briefcase with the ledgers in it, saying that, you know, Al was impressed with what you did there. You saved his life. Here you go. Take these to Cicero. We got to, you know, lay low now. Giving D'Angelo everything he wanted. Yeah. Even though Van Alden had to die for it, but... Uh, it was interesting. And then, on the way out, he lets Eli go. Like, here's 50 bucks. Go get a train. Get out of here. Right. And where does... where? What I love about it is, is where does Eli go? I know. Does he go That's back to AC? Does he go... Does he ditch completely? Can he go back to Nucky? I don't know. Does he even make an appearance anymore? He might be done. He might be done. Series. Yeah. I mean, the, the, and here's where it gets really interesting is just that, Right. We're so we're down to the bitter wire here. We've got to finish up things with Jillian. We've got to finish up things with yep. Margaret. We've got to finish up things with Nucky. We've got to finish up things with Capone. Yep. Is there room for Eli? I mean, we've already sewn up. We've already sewn so. up uh, our Rothstein. Rothstein. Oh, we have to finish up Luciano. Right. right. We have uh, we have a number of things that need to be done before this. Can I be know. Done. Well, and I'm wondering if. Eli plays the prodigal son coming back to Nucky, and then they stand together against Luciano. It wouldn't shock me if that happened, li- but I'm it's telling a you, corny, they, though, they've already—it's corny, and they've already thrown us for a loop yeah. with the chalky thing, yeah. right? So the chalky thing—we're all hell bent on chalky and Nucky riding off into the sunset together, and they yep. fucking quickly put a bullet in that head. Yep. So I'm not gonna make any predictions on that. So we've got two episodes left, right? We, I believe Jillian is maybe, if not the central character, one of the main storylines in the very next episode. It has to be. you got to get Jillian going. She's got, yeah, they've got to kickstart that. The other one, I think, Margaret. we got to see what's going on with Margaret, I think. 
Or maybe they hold her till the, the finale. I think they hold her till the finale. And I think there might be some kind of... Uh, uh, some kind of closure with her and Nucky. Yeah. That is positive. I think that might be one way that they end this. Yep. That's, I mean, purely conjecture. Uh, I, I think so. it has to be positive, I think. Does it? Um, with those two, Has I anything think so. been positive in any closure no, in, this up, in this series? No, but I think they have come back together and they're the only positive thing in this series left. So maybe that'll continue for the last couple episodes. But, okay, so we've got Jillian. Has to happen next episode. We know from some of the previews, I think, uh, Maranzano and Luciano and that whole thing, something goes on Well, that's got to come to a head in right? the next episode. It's got to be... The last episode needs to be a real dramatic, kind of a, not a dramatic, I'm sorry, not dramatic, that's a bad word to use. It, it has to be completely wrap-up fulfilling. The other, so We're the, not doing a Sopranos on this, nope. right? This isn't going to be a no, no, guy walks no, in no. and we fade to black. Not right? even. This has got to have some kind of a closure You can point. see where it's headed, it's just a matter of how they do it. Right. So, we've got... We know it's Lucky Luciano and Maranzano slash Nucky. That's that's something's happening there next next two episodes. Let's right. Say. We've got Jillian. The other one we've got. It's going to play a major major role, and I think it's going to be the last thing we see in the. I'm going to say the final scene of the entire series, maybe, or maybe the second to last one will be. A flashback. The, the entire episode? The We gotta see the Commodore and Nucky. I think those are gonna... The flashback's gonna be a bigger player in these next two I episodes. I can see the flashback being a big player, but it cannot be the whole episode. No, no, no not the whole episode. I think it, but it, it can be... It, it's it gotta might, be the it focal end point. It. Right. It, it, it might be the... the uh, the bow on, on the series. Well, I, I could see the ending of this series being flashback. That's what I'm thinking. And it's going to kind of neatly wrap it up, but maybe leave us answering, you know, asking some questions. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that happening. I could totally see that happening. Good stuff. Definitely. All right. Uh, next week, we tackle the penultimate episode of the entire series of Boardwalk Empire with a... As far as we know, a full cast, you, me, and Michelle. Maybe a guest. Maybe a guest next week. I'll see what we can uh, uh, wrap up uh, for next week. Um, and then two weeks from now, uh, we will have the finale episode, which is, we I hope to have a, 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 a full house for that. Uh, both of us, plus Michelle, plus Allison, and then Tim. who knows who else. Who else? Tim, Maybe get a Tim, couple right? others, All right? So there's uh, we'll have five or more for the finale. So that yes. that one, if you're gonna miss one, don't miss the last one of the, of our episodes. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. Till next time. Cheers, Slancha. <laughs> Salut to my Italian friend. Thank you for listening to Boardwalk Breakdown. Follow us on Twitter at Boardwalk Breakdown.